listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Today I have as a special guest, Susan Allen. She is a leading marriage and divorce coach. She's a certified mediator and is the founder of the nonprofit, The Marriage Forum. She's created the marital mediation in which reconciliation results are very successful, even if a partner acquires the new skills in thinking and listening, speaking, and actions. And that's part of her six-part conversation. Alan has provided successful mediations and trading to thousands of families and corporations and groups, and she continues to push this message out since 1999, and more than 10,000 people have received her complimentary private telephone session in addition to all her clientele worldwide. She has discovered seven stages of divorce, is the author of 101 Divorce Secrets, a survival guide, and the upcoming Divorce to Merry-Go-Round, or How to Save Your Money, Your Sanity, and Your Life, and the Best of Ask the Relationship Coach is one of her programs. Today, we're talking not about the divorce issue, but how to build a conversation in. She has a six-part process for that conversation, and that's what we're going to focus on today. That six-part conversation will help you break through in ways that sometimes conversations get stuck. So as we talk today, be listening for how that conversation can fit into your relationship. That conversation begins with our discussion today. Susan, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to talk with you, and I'm excited to hear about the uh, conversation process that you have. But there's a reason why people get to whatever it is that they do. And you have, uh, a, let's say, a loaded story about that. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about how you got to that process before we get into that process. Tell us a little bit about your story and where you came from. The last thing I expected was this career, Lee. And thank you so much for having me. I was a successful fashion designer. Can't be more superficial than that, right? I was in New York City for a long time, moved to California, continued my career, and then I married. And everything seemed to be fine. And then he got some bad medication from an MD, human growth hormone, very dangerous, Topped it off with testosterone, uh, the most dangerous cocktail. And he decided that he wanted to get my money. And he was willing to sacrifice my life. And he bought a shotgun. And he was going through these roid rages, which at the time I knew nothing about. And he pointed a loaded shotgun at me. One in the chamber, the safety off. And he was going to kill me. And I talked my way out of it. And then he calmed down and I said to myself, well, maybe this was like a, you know, a one-time thing. I've got to plan an exit, but I don't have to do it in two minutes. And he was out of town. And then I found out about the affair and I found out about the, the plans he had to do away with me. So I decided as I went into hiding for what became seven years, wow. as I got a lifetime restraining order against him, which uh, lifetime, so continues to this day, that I had to give back. I had to provide people with the answers that I had worked so hard to find. I had to help people answer questions that divorce attorneys will not tell them. 
answer questions that therapists don't know because therapists are not divorce experts. I made myself into a divorce expert. I'm still here and I give one free session to anyone who asks over the phone as well as my private clientele. And I'm now a certified mediator as well. And I've given 10,000 free sessions answering questions that basically information people cannot get everywhere. Wow. So you you mentioned this, the HGH testosterone uh, combo, and that's not uncommon for men at midlife or a little bit later to get that uh, prescribed. Yes. A lot of people think that's a pretty uh, no big deal. <coughs> well, they, <laughs> your experience they is it's a big deal. They should have been in my house. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's very funny. I was, um, I was actually at my uncle's uh, condolence call some years ago, and there was this very aggressive guy who was a friend of theirs, friend of the family. I've known him for a long time, and he asked me what had happened to me, and I told him about it because he asked. He said, I've known him for 30 years, and he said as he was aggressively pursuing me around the living room with his wife sitting right there, he said to me, well, that's what I take. I don't think it's dangerous. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Be careful. Hmm. Be careful with your dosage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, and, and that is, I mean, that is a piece. There's a warning sign there. Obviously, uh, testosterone has been tied to aggression before. Um, and and you, you know, I had a third experience after um, my divorce, now that I'm thinking about it, hmm. with a doctor, an MD in Beverly Hills. Actually, he's a, a reproductive health doctor, a specialist, very famous. And he asked me out. I went out with him. And on the second date, he became very, very obnoxious and inappropriate. Mm. And I always carry mace, you know, and I he was really obnoxiously. And I finally just held it up and I said, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to get in my car now. Don't follow me to the car. So that's three out of three people I know who were taking this, who I found to be, you know, dangerous and inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for sure, there are some people who are, have a, a clinical issue, not just they're trying to hold on to um, feeling younger, but they have a clinical issue. So I don't, I don't. Sure. That's just, different. And yeah. I'm not a doctor of that kind. And exactly. you're not that kind of a doctor. Not at all. But, you know, I would just say to women, you know, women who are involved with men, when you observe a change in behavior, mm -hmm. that's when you want to do something about it. And that is an interesting point, period, is that when there is a change in behavior, there may be uh, a psychological reason. There may be a biological reason to it. Sure. Um, and so a lot of times we're quick to judge that it's the relationship. And, and for you... There obviously were some pieces to the relationship. He was having an affair and, and some other pieces of the puzzle were, were there. But for you, what was driving it was really a biological uh, issue for him, an imbalance for him. It was a, it was a, it was a lack of self-worth because um, the funny part, I mean, you know, you get, you get beyond these things. You do your inner work and there's humor, right? So the funny part to me is one day I was walking past his office, which he had an office at and also an office at home. And I'm walking past and I'm seeing all these porn girls. And I just happened to be topless. I had come out of the shower. And I'm looking at these girls. They're older than I am. 
they're not as endowed as I am by any stretch of the imagination. They're not as pretty as I am. And I'm a kind of a traditionally attractive woman. And I'm laughing to myself. So all he has to do is turn around. I'm right here, you know, but it was his self-image thing. So he had a lot of issues that didn't have to do with sexual desire and youth. It was, it was that he didn't feel he deserved me. Yeah. Yeah. really unfortunate. And it is true that in uh, our marriage, there is the relationship piece. And then there's our own psychology that we bring you into bet. that, our own crisis and our own issues. Um, and, and so all of that um, was um, kind of a, a hotbed of problems for you. Before the, um, uh, the shotgun incident and those other, were there other times when you look back and realize that there was a crisis that <laughs> you hadn't been clear about? <laughs> Before I married him and moved into his house, there had been a murder above his house in the house on the hill, which I didn't know anything about. But I found out from my neighbor during the marriage. So one night, not long before the shotgun incident, I hear him. It's like two in the morning. He's got, and he's a Vietnam vet. And he obviously suffers from PTSD, you know, as a result of um, of that. He's got a black watch cap on his head. He's got the shotgun under his arm. And I can hear the dog barking from that house. And obviously, it's not the people who lived there when there was a murder. He said, I'm going up the hill. And I said to myself, okay, this guy has lost it. This guy is nuts. I said to him, honey, why don't we just call the police They'll never get here in time. And I thought to myself, well, you know, he's he's obviously, you know, deeply troubled, you know, and I don't know what to do about it. We'll see. And then there was the, you know, the shotgun event and then boom, and then I was out. So all of that is background to really um, what we're talking about, because we hear more about what you became after that. Obviously, very interesting story. We could probably do a movie on Yay. that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the, um, you, you said you became an expert uh, because of that. How did that spur you into um, maybe putting the pieces together, doing the research and, and where, um, where do you, where do you see the most important points to that? Well, the first thing that happened as I fled in the night, I put together a team I put together a team of all the ex areas of expertise that I would need. And of course, one of them was to get an immediate attorney, to get an immediate emergency, uh, you know, documentation so that, you know, he couldn't come anywhere near me, et cetera, et cetera, and immediately to file for divorce. And that attorney did not function fast enough or intelligently enough I appreciated that he wasn't churning money, which is a big thing that family attorneys do. I appreciated that he, you know, he wasn't the attorney who wasted a hundred and something thousand dollars of my, you know, money and got me nothing, but he didn't do anything either. And in fact, I became an expert in how to motivate your attorney. I teach people how to hire the right attorney if they do need one, if they can't work with me or another mediator, and then how to manage that attorney. You know, what is realistic, what is not. Then I moved to a second attorney and the second attorney still wasn't getting things done. He wasn't smart enough, cagey enough, sophisticated enough in dealing with this kind of a problem. And then finally, because that second one churned 
the account and, and cost me a fortune. And all I got was a restraining order, which is only three years. What are you going to do? And then I hired the number one family attorney in the state of California, considered to be the father of family law, the biggest gorilla on the planet, Sorrel Trope. And I put together a system whereby the managing attorney in the practice would do the work, but Sorrel Trope, who everybody would kowtow when they saw him go to court, would walk in and represent me. So that way I didn't pay a million dollars an hour for the whole case. I just paid a million dollars an hour for when he went to court. But it was a brilliant strategy because by doing that, I pay them only, I think, $25,000. And they got me a restraining order for life. They uh, blocked it when he tried to have that overturned. They gave me everything I needed. So I learned about how to handle attorneys in my own experience better than just about anyone who's ever called me with a bad story. Mm-hmm. Mostly people call me with a terrible story. They haven't learned anything about how to improve it. So I've got all that data. Yeah. So, and, and this is one of those, um, interesting things. I mean, there, there are lots of different segments to this, but even the legal aspects when people say, well, you know, what's the big deal about saving your marriage? And one of my things at a base level is let's talk about economics of this. Oh, yes. You know, 25 to 30,000 is the average cost of the divorce. Forget if it's a restraining order or something like that, which obviously you have to do. You have to protect yourself. But just getting divorced is a divorce is a terrible thing. It's monumental. I got married saying I will never divorce. I had one divorce. I will never get a divorce. I hired a private eye to prove to me that my husband was not having an affair. Oops. But <laughs> but because I didn't want to get divorced. Yeah. And, you know, most of the work I do is in teaching people how not to get divorced because I agree with you. We're on the same page. Divorce is a hideous thing. Anything we can do to teach people to marry the right person, because I do that, how to motivate and inspire the right person. I've got one client who just got engaged and another client who's having a baby, all because of this work they've done with me. And that's just right now. Mm-hmm. And anything we can do to teach people how to get along, make peace, not have an enemy image of one another, and have a deeply intimate, loving relationship. That's the secret that you and I specialize in. So here's the really interesting thing. You came out of, uh, if somebody came to me and told me even a a few pieces of the story you told me, I would say, forget saving your marriage. You need to get out, get safe. That's right. And yet you took that experience and said, okay, how do I apply this to a broader uh, piece of helping relationships? Not just, because you could have come out in that and said, forget it. I'll teach you how to get divorced. (laughs) And that would be the end of it. Let's just get rid of all of, you know, any sign there's a trouble, we need to get rid of it. And that's not what you did. Um, You switched that and said, I want to um, get marriages started right with the right people and keep it right by, you know, my thing is, and that's, I've said many times when people have talked to me about their long-term relationships or maybe more likely the long-term relationship that's not working right then. And my response is, you know, when you're at that point, when you're in the kind of the pre-marriage thing, your job is to make sure it's the right person because after that, your task is to make it right, you know, and make that's that relationship right. right. And so that's right. you're putting those pieces together, and which Thank is very you. interesting. Yes. Um, 
uh, obviously, the fact that you were able to talk your way uh, out of a loaded shotgun tells me um, conversation is something you're good at. <laughs> and interestingly enough, your process that we're going to talk about is a conversation process. In fact, it is. So introduce that for us and tell us about how um, how that came about. And then I want to talk some of, uh, we want to walk through that, that conversation process. Well, I've been studying for 50 years. I've been studying since I was a kid. All that I really was interested in certainly was not fashion. That was my mother's dream because she was in interior design. I really didn't care. I cared about people. I cared about happiness. And all I really care about is love. You know, you can have food. I, you know, food's nice. And I've been around the world 50 odd times. That's fun. But love is what I live for. Love is the, you know, the blood that runs in my veins. So all I care about is how can people live together, enjoy in peace, passionately, deeply in love, crazy about each other. I've had 16 marriage proposals in my life. I am working on the 17th, but I haven't met him yet. I'm, I'm looking, I'm shopping. And that to me is the most beautiful, delicious part of life. You know, when I'm in love, people look at me and go, oh my God, you're so beautiful. And it's true about everybody, right? When you're in love, you are beautiful. You, every cell in your body is lit up. You feel joy. And I've had that experience with God. I've had that experience with the divine as well. It's the same thing. It's just caused by a different connection. So it's all about creating the most peaceful, loving, intimate, joyous relationships. The six-part conversation came out of all this work. It came in part from nonviolent communication. I studied with the founder for a long time. And the first two parts of the sixth part are self-empathy, which I encouraged Marshall Rosenberg to promote. He never did. I find it to be the most valuable thing anyone can learn, self-soothing. If you can learn self-soothing, you can be my friend. If you can't learn self-soothing or you don't know it or won't learn it, honestly, I don't feel safe to have you in my life because you're going to get triggered. You're human. And what's going to happen next? Who knows? Whether you say something unpleasant or do something unpleasant, please take it elsewhere. Don't don't bring it to me. So self-soothing is where we start. Okay. So in, in part, so just to, to be clear about the part, part one, self-empathy. Um, mm -hmm. Why don't you put your definitions on that? Self-soothing and self-empathy. Can you give some definition of that and what you mean by that, what it looks like, even what mm -hmm. it feels Absolutely. like? Because yeah, this sure. is a process the person is doing. That's right. So if, let's say you said something to me, I doubt if you would, but if you said something to me that triggered me, if, if triggered means I feel frightened, I feel angry, or I feel sad. The most important thing I need to do in life, whether you and I have the relationship we do, Lee, which is a professional one, or whether you're my friend or family member, the first thing is for me not to say something I'm going to regret, not to say something you're going to regret that I said. So I have to be very present. I have to have a high level of evolutionary consciousness. I have to really be here now so that I notice if I'm frightened and I bring myself to peace with this part one, 
or that I'm angry and bring myself to peace or that I'm sad and I bring myself to peace. And so you want me, want me to give you a demo, for example? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Okay, good. So if, well, let's say I'm getting ready to do a podcast with you. Now, you know, I've been doing these things for a long time, but I want to be really present. So I might feel nervous because I don't know you and I need to have self-respect because it's about looking at my feeling and looking about my needs. So I might feel nervous. The need is self-respect. And then I take a deep yogic breath. Or I might feel worried if I didn't know my own material because I wrote it myself. If I had to memorize something someone else said, you know, I might feel worried because I need to have information at my fingertips and take a deep breath. If you're going on a first date, which as I said, I'm doing a lot now, you know, I may feel, you know, alarmed because I I know who I think this person is who I'm meeting for dinner, but I don't really have enough information about him and take a deep breath. Or I may feel concerned because I want to be appreciated. I want him to find me attractive. Take a deep breath. And you keep doing this until you're calm. Until someone actually hears me do this for about five minutes They may not believe that it works, but the miracle is that if you do this for about five minutes nonstop and you take your yogic breath at the end of each round of self-empathy, you become present and calm. And then and only then are you capable of connecting to this other person. One of the things you said that I think is a key piece of um, the, the trigger piece is you use the word I want, I need. You know, I want somebody to respect me. I want somebody to love me. I want somebody to find me attractive. I need, you know, those, and, it, and it strikes me that the part of what you're talking about in that process is being aware that that's what's driving your response at that's that point. Right. It's, that's it's right. when somebody triggers that, when you feel yeah. unloved, when you feel disrespected, when you feel um, like someone finds you unattractive, just to name the kind of the three that I heard right, right there, right. That, that creates something within you that's that right. you want to push tension. against. Yeah, tension for sure. Which is, And if you have tension, you're not connecting. Right. And, and it's all, it puts you also in trying to either defend yourself or attack the other person. Is that, and are we on the same page? Magnetic. On, yeah, no, not at, all. not at all. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, this step of self-empathy, uh, self-awareness uh, is another level of that, of, of going, you know, many times in my office, I've had somebody who is on one corner of the couch and the other person's on the other corner of the couch. And neither one seems to be aware uh, that they are both upset. They're angry. They're upset that the other is angry. You know, they're aware that the other is angry. But when I say, wow, you know, it really looks like you're angry about that. They refuse to admit that. I'm not angry. There's nothing that's bothering me. And that lack of self-awareness cuts them off from your part two. Everything. Yeah. From everything. But certainly part two empathy. You know, if, if For I'm sure. upset, I can't hear you're upset. So this whole first step of empathy, you use, I, I see in your, uh, you've got a, a one sheet on this, that peace is that self-created state of mind. It's not about the other person putting you in a peaceful state. It's and your management. I have a lot of therapists who've been my clients who teach this to their 
patients mm-hmm. or clients, lots of them. Of course, they use it at home as well, but they teach it to their clients because it is so fast and it takes only one person in any relationship mastering this to turn the entire relationship around. So let's talk a little bit about the process. When you said it, but let's just, I want to highlight this so everybody kind of, what do you do now? That's, uh, you know, my my thing is, what do you take away from this? So when you're doing the self-empathy step. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you, and, and let's use that. If you can think of a relationship example, you know, you, mm-hmm. you've got something going on in a relationship. Mm-hmm. How would you approach that with that first step or part one? I went to the Santa Barbara Yacht Club on Sunday for a date, a first date. A brilliant guy, a very successful attorney, family came over on the Mayflower, six foot two. Now, this is my first date, so I've never met him, right? And he's got a great resume, college resume is good, law school resume is good, job resume is good. The whole thing on paper was great. The photos were great. I've already declined a second date, so that tells you something was up, right? So first of all, he arrives and he appears to have run an entire marathon. That's how much of a disheveled mess he is just having come from the parking lot. Doesn't stop in the men's room, you know, and you see me guys, so you know, I looked good. I did my best. Okay, let me just say. so I had to give myself a ton of empathy, right? Since since everybody's just hearing this, so let me just say. yeah. okay. Well, so so Susan is saying, you know, uh, fashion is not my big thing. My big thing is love. But let me tell you, I'm standing here in a blue t-shirt, right? And Susan is dressed in a, a fairly gold, I don't know the exact color, but goldish color. And behind her is a beautiful (laughs) picture that completely coordinates (laughs) with your top. So him coming in completely disheveled is probably not going to hit a lot of the check marks on that part. Appalled. I was appalled. Here's a demonstration. I was appalled because my need for respect wasn't met. Exactly. Breathe. I was shocked. Because my need for aesthetics were not met. Breathe. I was embarrassed. You know, I live in Santa Barbara. I was embarrassed, the Santa Barbara Yacht Club, because my need for respect from the people around us wasn't met. Mm. Breathe. I was disappointed because my need for my new relationship, my new perfect life partner, definitely not met. Mm. Breathe. And it just took me a few moments. By the time he was, you know, I saw him coming across the the room. And by the time he sat down, I was pretty much okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he did not realize the, you know, horror <laughs> <laughs> that had been going on in my head. Because, as I said, he's already asked me out twice, you know. And so didn't. Now, I then gave him empathy part two. What's What's empathy? It's guessing what the other person is feeling and needing. And you can only do that if you're already present with yourself. So, you know, the waiter was fluttering around with napkins, you know, here, why don't you dry yourself off, sir? You know, so I said to him, wow, I can imagine you had trouble finding a parking spot. And he said, blah, 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 blah. I said, you know, I can I can guess that you really wanted to be on time 
So that's why you, you know, came racing up the stairs. Yes. He said, yes, let me just catch my breath. You know, you know, so I'm like, just, I was very calm, very empathetic. In a few minutes, I said to him, um, would you like me to get you a drink? You know, you just sit there and catch your breath. Would you like me to order you a drink? He said, I just need some water. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was quite crazy. Mm. And I just kept empathizing with him. Toweled off eventually. And we had a lovely conversation over lunch. He never realized how much internal work it took on my part to be able to be present. He had no idea. That is the benefit of these skills. The person with these skills is the person with power in any situation, whether it's business, whether it's friendship, or whether it's intimacy. You've got power. So, and Which is uh, interesting to many times we lead with, I need, I want outwardly, right? And, mm -hmm. and your process is you coming to a place where you understand what's going on within you. It doesn't, it's not shared. So you didn't sit down and say, you know what? I needed you to uh, be uh, presentable and I needed you to be <laughs> well-dressed and not disheveled. And I needed you to respect me that none of that came out, which would have picked a fight and escalated uh, with him. And then so instead you were clearing yourself before you turned and said, I wonder what he needs to yourself. And that was what you expressed as, you know, wow, I'm sorry you had to run a marathon before, you know, our first date and gave a place where Empathetic. Um, he had he had some space. So before we get to part three, um, just to highlight that what you've talked about in these two steps is really about uh, re assuming responsibility for where you are emotionally and how you reach out to the other person. Yes, exactly. And on this planet, the planet Earth that you and I share and all of your listeners are sharing with us, I don't know people who really care what we want from the get-go. I've never met those people. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you and I, we are professionally empathetic. And, you know, I, I know you well enough to know you're, you're, you're a nice guy. And I'm a, you know, I'm a very sweet person. So if people are going to care about other people, I think you and I would be at the head of the list of people who do. But frankly, we don't care about other people's needs more than our own. My definition of love, which I would love to share, is that when my needs getting met and your needs getting met are equally important to me, that's what I call love. And of course, the mistake a lot of us have made, and I, I'm raising my hand, is when his needs are more important to me than my own, that didn't work. It should have worked, but it didn't work. And when our needs mutually getting met are equally important to both of us, and that's love, of course, it has to have, there have to be a lot of other attributes and connections, but that's the mental state of love. And then it's beautiful. Well, we're out of time on the Save the Marriage podcast, but Susan and I continued our conversation about all six parts of the conversation process. All six parts are included along with her handout on how to do that in a longer format, in a full interview in the new program, Relationship Rewrite. If you found something in Susan's program, 
please check out Relationship Rewrite at relationshiprewrite.com. That's relationshiprewrite, R-E-W-R-I-T-E.com. Relationship Rewrite is a program of trainings on how you can simplify and understand more and more as you go through. It's a weekly training that comes to you so that you can understand more and more about your relationship from some of the top experts in the world. I've interviewed authors, I've interviewed therapists, experts, and even successful marriages, and I bring that all to you on a weekly basis in Relationship Rewrite. Check that out at RelationshipRewrite.com. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at SaveTheMarriage.com.